This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. How ready are you and is your community for this fire season? During the pandemic, a lot of people moved to the country and this could be the first year new regional and rural residents face a significant fire risk. The fact is you think it's never going to happen to you. But we all need to be prepared. And we hear the term, have your fire plan ready. But is that term starting to wash over us? Do we actually know what a good fire plan looks like? Do you know what information will or won't be given to you from authorities if a fire is close? Do you even know where the evacuation points in your town are? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Warwick Long. Of course, you would know him as the host of the Country Hour. Joining us from ABC Shepparton was, I mean, our team in Gippsland has been doing incredible coverage. What started out as a fire, now flood. But when we talk about preparedness and preparedness for a fire, there are a lot of terms that I think... People are just starting to not hear, even though we use them a lot. Fire ready, fire plan, be prepared, leave early, whatever it may be. We have to think about those things. I think about growing up on mum and dad's property sort of 20 years ago, how you prepared for fire season there. Although some things are largely the same, a lot has changed and a lot in terms of our language around warning systems and how we deal with fires is changing and constantly changing year to year as well. And even when you were talking about the pandemic, a lot of people moving country to yeah. the country. This is research before the pandemic though, but uh, Alan Curtis at CSU up at Albury-Wodonga, his study is over 10 years, you expect 40 to 50% of rural properties in Victoria to change hands, so new owners. So you think in every decade, if that continues and you see that change of ownership and change of land use, there are a lot of people in communities all over our state. Some have had rain, others have not, all preparing for a bushfire season right now and, and you hope the information is there when they need it, but... You don't know if it's always easily available, do That's you? right. And when you look at maybe people who have moved to a new community, that means possibly that some people have moved out of that community. Do your volunteers for the local CFA move with it? Do we have huge shortages? We're actually going to hear from one newly arrived community that has put their hand up and has joined yeah. the local CFA. But even if you're not moving there permanently, we are seeing tiny little towns that once wouldn't have had a swell of tourism that now, because of short stays accommodation, you can stay in anywhere you want was. You know, there doesn't have to be a hotel or a motel. So what kind of information are tourists given? And tiny towns that may only have a couple of hundred people that then swell to a couple of thousand, where does that information go and how is that information received and how do locals feel about tourists and their behaviour sometimes when it comes to being ready? Yeah, and what's your responsibility as a tourist to know where you are, where the fire warnings are going to come from and what you are going to do if you are choosing to go out in summer months when we do want to get away and have fun with our families and and meet up and travel and experience beautiful parts of regional Victoria. Uh, Sometimes you you need to remember how you're going to do that, especially in a time of high fire danger. Absolutely. So how prepared do you feel? Our first fire season, we've already had a taste of it. If this is your first year living in a regional community, what would you like to know? Or if you've been through it before, how prepared do you feel now? And what 
do you want new people and tourists to know in the community where you live? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunty with you, a Melbourne Warwick Long, of course, the host of the Country Hour, joining you from ABC Shepparton. As we talk about how ready you and your community is for this fire season and how do you prepare? We hear that term a lot. You might roll your eyes and think, oh, here we go again. But you do need to think about it, especially if you're visiting or if you're new. Already was. This says, my fire plan starts simple, always knowing where my keys, phone and wallet are. They have to be together. And being aware of the conditions with the radio, of course, being on the ABC. And this saying, have a list on your cupboard door of what to do and what to grab during a fire. You can't think straight and assume that you will be in shock. That's actually some really good advice, especially if you're new to an area or if you're a really treed area or you've got those hills and you, you could... Not every property has good visual sort of sense of, of where things are. Not every town you, you feel like you can see where things are coming from and certainly when you add smoke and so forth to that, it becomes a, a recipe for disaster. So to have something like a list on a cupboard so you know exactly what you're doing where and when and sometimes that list could be on a bad fire day, you just, you're not there, right? Like, And we will talk about that as we go throughout the program today about how feasible that is. But uh, that is where... Um, some some good decision-making is made if you've got that list before you go. Jason Heffernan is the Chief Officer of the CFA. Jason, one of the things that people really need to keep front in mind, preparing themselves for the up-and-coming fire season. Oh, thanks for, for having me on. I, I, the, uh, the, the issues that you raise and the matters discussing this hour is just uh, so important for our Victorian communities a couple of things spring to, to, to my mind as you were touching on there about uh, people you know, wanting to be warned. We've been doing a survey on community attitude towards warnings and, uh, and awareness to, to bushfire preparedness since 2009, those devastating fires in February. And what really alarms me is you know, 31% of people that live in you know, at-risk areas of bushfire still would wait for emergency authorities to tell them what to do. Uh, and 29% would stay until they felt threatened. So there's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of conversations to be had around making sure our communities are prepared for summer uh, and know what to do and be, I guess, self-resilient to be able to take the actions required when a fire does occur. I want to ask you about the conditions this summer and also things like the warning system, but we should start there, shouldn't we? What's your best advice for people thinking about how they get prepared for this fire season now? I think my best advice to anyone would be a couple of things. Uh, firstly, uh, be informed. Uh, be situationally aware of what's going on around you. And um, as one of your, your listeners uh, texted in, yeah, simply having the radio on, uh, your, your emergency broadcaster radio on in the background, if it's a total fire bear day, for example, uh, having the Vic Emergency app on your phone, having your phone near you uh, during a, a bad fire day, um, and having more than one source of information. Um, yeah, we've just had a little technical glitch ourselves this morning. So it's <laughs> That's it, happen. it can happen, exactly. Um, absolutely. So, you know, you need to make sure that you you, you have that, you know, that, that information constantly coming in. One of the things that, um, that you know, we talk about is, is almost on uh, now with streaming services and those sort of things, uh, on a very hot day, people tend to, to get inside, close all the windows and doors, you know, put the Netflix on and, and watch a movie. But um, what that means is they're all, almost sort of disconnecting themselves as, as well about what's happening outside. Uh, so we do need to make sure that we're aware of what's what's going on uh, because getting 
that information early allows you to actually think about, okay, there's a fire in my area. Uh, what am I going to do? What's my plan? Um, where am I going to go? And what are my triggers? Because I think you made the comment earlier on, Warwick, in, in the program about, um, you know, you're not going to make sensible uh, decisions sometimes yeah, when you are shock. under the rush. Yeah. yeah There's right. so many texts on this. Jason Heffernan is with you, the Chief Officer of the CFA. This last week in Wire River, Optus Signal hasn't been working well. Technicians say the tower is over capacity. No plans for an upgrade until next year. Where does that leave the people on Optus needing to access emergency information? And Jason, we can't keep up with the number of people saying anything from, this is another reason why, you know, short stays in Airbnbs are bad for our small communities. Others saying they feel like tourists should be restricted on things like total fire ban days or when conditions are catastrophic. And we know that locals can get really upset with tourists and the way that they do or don't behave, the information that they don't take seriously, the way they don't prepare themselves, or maybe the way that they still arrive into a community when there is high fire risk. There's one thing to get the information through to locals. How do we get it through to visitors? Well, that, that is the challenge, isn't it? I know uh, CFA has been working with uh, real estate agents and, and having some partnerships with them in terms of trying to, as two new people move into an area um, or short-stay rentals, to try and get that information into them. We're also, you know, trying to have conversations with, uh, you know, organisations like Airbnb to how do we make sure that, that people get that information sent to them. Uh, it, it, it comes down to, what, I guess, what we were talking about before and making sure that, when those big days are coming, um, you know, people will hear myself and my colleagues talking about the fire dangers, talking about the need to be aware and the need to be uh, prepared. And if people are on long weekends or on holidays or, or are going into areas that they're not familiar with, uh, and particularly some of those really beautiful um, coastal areas and bushland areas we have in our state, but on, on some of the worst of fire days, that can be the absolute worst place to be in terms of your personal safety so we do have a job in trying to you know break through um the community to be able to let people know if you are traveling in those areas the same things apply having that that app getting that information and actually thinking twice do i need to travel to that area or you know perhaps this weekend is not the best weekend to be in the bush and in terms of warnings, what should people be listening out for over summer uh, as warnings and, and, and what the actual official language of those warnings means for them? Yeah, so in Australia, we've got a, a nationalised emergency warning system uh, that has a number of levels and, and layers and calls to action that go with them. So if we go through the, 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 uh, the lowest of, of, the, of the levels, and that's that advice um, in a fine sense, if you look on the on the system, it's that uh, yellow triangle with a fire symbol in it. Uh, and it's simply uh, to let you know that there's an incident occurring uh, and you probably need to, to, to access some information, monitor local conditions and, and keep up to date, stay informed. You know, we're, we're advising you there's something going on around you. Uh, if conditions worsen or the situation develops further, uh, people may receive what we call a watch and act warning. Uh, and it, you know, it asks people to do exactly as the warning indicates, you know, watch and then take action. Uh, an emergency is developing. Um, you know, you will need to take action to protect yourself and others. So if you do get a watch and act warning, um, you're no longer, you know, effectively waiting to see what happens. You now, you know, you need to take action. And the highest of all the warnings is that emergency warning. 
Um, and it effectively is, you know, you are in danger, you will be impacted, you need to do something now. And each of those uh, warning levels, and particularly for the Watch and Act and the emergency warning, will generally have some call to action, whether that's, you know, leave now, evacuate now, or, you know, even shelter in place if it's, if it's too late. And in terms of this season, a lot of people will be thinking, oh, well, you've been talking about lots of rain and there's flooding happening in Victoria. But, Jason Heaven, people think rain, that means fire season's delayed or over. What does it actually mean in reality? Uh, in reality, it means uh, well, a couple of things. Um, yeah, for the bushland areas, particularly in some of those parts in East Gippsland where we saw over 100 mils, it just simply means you know, bushfire risk has probably hit pause for a week or two uh, and, then, and then we'll be back into it. Uh, for other parts that didn't get so much rain, it's just adding to, you know, some of the grass growth uh, around. There's, you know, water, warm weather, um, grasses grow. Uh, and for a good part of our state, because you remember um, the western part, so basically if you draw a line from uh, Melbourne through the centre and, you know, everything west of that, have not got the rain that eastern Victoria has and mm. uh, their, their, their grasses and, and crops and everything else is rapidly curing out so they'll be in a fire danger period very very soon and uh, from what I've seen in some of the fuel loads out there you know, it will be a, a risk this season. We wish you and all of your members and your volunteers nothing but the best and safety. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Jason, good to speak with you. No, thank you. Jason Heffernan there, the Chief Officer of the CFA. Carol is actually calling us from Hobart. Morning, Carol. Good morning. What did you want to share? Um, I would, was hoping to talk to Jason Heffernan about the importance of emotional preparedness. My son died in the 2009 Black Saturday bushfires. Oh, Carol, I'm so sorry. Yes, me too. And ever since then, I have been um, working towards promoting the the need for psychological preparedness for a bushfire because the buzzword at the moment is know your trigger. And people, frankly, do not, not, unless they've got an emotional connection or emotional reaction, are not going to know what their trigger is. And like you say, it'll never happen to me or as you pointed out, so many people have moved into the bush since the Black Saturday or the Black Summer fires, and they go out on holiday. And I have been promoting an emotional bushfire experience, which is a simulation of what it's going to be like when a fire develops. And the idea is that it's meant to trigger your senses and once your tr- senses have been triggered, then you know what your trigger is. And then you will go out and be motivated to make a fire plan. Now, unfortunately, I have been working with uh, Emergency Management Victoria, and I've just received the message that the CFA no longer thinks this is a necessary um, part of fire planning and that um, they have it all in hand. They have the emotional preparedness in hand. And I'm here to tell you that they do not. And if people do not have some idea of how their body is going to go into fight, fright or freeze mode, um, it doesn't matter whether their fire plan is on the fridge 
they are just not going to be able to cope with the unexpected nature. Absolutely. And Carol, the emotional preparedness, not only before but afterwards as well, it's something that we're only just kind of, I think, really learning about. Carol, thank you. And again, our heart goes out to you and our condolences for the loss of your son. I guess it's a perfect time, however, to bring in Kate Brady, who's the technical advisor of Red Cross and also, of course, the host of ABC's After the Disaster podcast. And Kate, you've looked a lot into reducing the stress, the emotional stress and understanding everything like what Carol was talking about. The impact that it has on us is far beyond just making a list. Absolutely. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I I think what Carol's talking about um, and some of the things Jason's talking about too is this idea that planning for disasters can just feel really overwhelming to start with. Um, It can feel like there's a lot to do. It can be difficult to know where to start. And so there's some basic steps that we can think about. But Carol's absolutely right. Um, I can't speak to her her program specifically, but but being... um, Activated in a disaster, and when I say activated, I mean our emotions and the psychological responses that we have um, during a disaster, whether it's a fire or a flood, it, it does change the way our brains work. So our brains sort of switch into a different gear and it can be difficult to communicate and it can be difficult to take in information. And that's why doing things ahead of time is really important. Um, I think it's really important to remember while lots of things can feel out of our control, there are things that are in our control. So there are things that you can do ahead of time and during them. And one of those first ones is around making a plan. Um, and part of that is about getting information. So that stuff Jason was talking about, simple things like being able to sign up to emergency alerts so that you make sure you're getting information, knowing ahead of time where you want to get information from and where you're going to trust the information that comes through is important. So there's some of the first steps you can take. And this is things that you can do today, right? Like you shouldn't be waiting for for fire season really to kick off, although it has in some areas. You can do this work now. Yeah, when that's creeping on top of you, it can be quite, you can feel quite frantic while you're trying to find information. So if you have ahead of time, you can sign up to these alerts, you have bookmarks, for example, in your phone where you want to get information. They're things that you can do ahead of time. There's also other things that you can do that might not um, seem so obvious but are really important at the time. The first is think about who your connections are. Who can you call on for help and for information? Who who do you think you're going to be able to help? But who do you need to plan for? So a lot of the hazard information plans that we see, when we see people making these plans, they assume their families or their households are going to be together. But we know on a day-to-day basis, most of us aren't together. For example, you know, I have four kids. None of them are at home right now. I'm working from home. Um, my kids are at school, at preschool. Um, my partner's are away in the office. So if something happens and we're all separated, what is the plan for that? You know, and so... If we're thinking about what we can do to plan for an emergency, so much of that information is about getting through that first 24, 48, 72 hours, and that is super important information. But there are things that you can do to plan for your recovery as well. So if you're making a plan for how your family is going to stay connected, not only is that going to help you on the day, but that's going to help you long-term too because we know that people who are separated from their loved ones and don't know what's happening, um, that can be a risk factor for poorer outcomes. So... So there's those things that you can plan for. You want to be doing things like getting organised. So what is the checklist you're going to need for things like your medication, pet food, things for babies, all of those things. But also what are things that you can think about ahead of time that are going to improve those long-term outcomes? So, so many people I speak to after disasters say, 
I just really wish I kept the kids' artworks from when they were little kids or photos or I had this sentimental thing from my grandfather that I didn't really think about and now it's gone. Like, are there anything that you can do now to think about those things now that you can make a plan for that's going to make that recovery easier? And what's the advice there? Do you put them in a bag now or do you just have it on a list somewhere? What What do you think so, people should be thinking about? So it's really going to depend on what it is. One of the most simple actions you can take ahead of time is trying to make sure your photos are online or taking photos of things that maybe you'd, you know, that kid's artwork one, as an example, maybe you don't want to put the artwork in a box, but if you took a photo of it, would that mean that you had a connection to it if something happened to your home? Um is it that you feel like during a fire season, you know, maybe say, for example, your grandfather's watch, you want to put that in safekeeping with someone else during that time? You know, just what are these things? There's no set rule for it, but what are the things that you think are going to make your life easier after? And all of the things that you can do digitally as well. So just making sure, even if it's having all of your passwords uh, somewhere saved on your phone or in a cloud or whatever it may be. If you've got them all scribbled down, if you're like me, I've got half my passwords and bloody post-it notes and all sorts of things around the house. So driver's licence, insurance, whatever it may be, having things that can be in a digital form as well. Kate, is there a good website you can push people towards? I mean, I know that I mean some of the incredible work that you do with your podcast after the disaster is a good listen for people to sort of get prepared as well. But is there you know, a site that you recommend that people should go to that would help them go through and think about some of these kind of things? Yeah, I'm a bit biased because I work for the Australian Red Cross. So Australian Red Cross has a preparedness page and it's... Australian Red Cross. Okay, great. That's right. It's really plain language, but it speaks to all hazards. It's going to point you in the direction of hazard-specific things for your area. So if your area is prone to floods, it's going to prompt you to go and get flood information. If your area is prone to cyclones, it's going to prompt you to go and get cyclone information. But then think about all those other things, the the photos, the sentimental things, the insurance stuff, um, things for your kids, you know, it's going to prompt you. in Australian Red Cross and how to get prepared. Kate, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's always great to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Dr. Kate Brady, you'd know her from the ABC's podcast after the disaster and technical advisor for the Australian Red Cross. So there's all of the sort of step-by-step stuff was, but then this is interesting, right? This is like the big picture as well. And this is coming from Anonymous and it said, I actually had to make the heartbreaking decision to leave my rural property because I could no longer prepare it for fire season. After Black Saturday, I'd leave the night before on bad weather on the day, but that's just become physically and emotionally too difficult. So I made the decision to move to the city. So there's the step-by-step and prepared and watches and documents and whatnot. And then there's the, should I live here anymore? And there's also the documents and then there's the physical worrying about the the fire stuff as well. Mick and Dargo, great text saying, as a CFI fire captain in the bush, new residents need to contact local CFA to find out where and when to go in the local area. Local knowledge is invaluable and it is amazing how many disasters I've reported on as a journalist when you go into a lot of small communities and they talk about the really close-knit networks of people. They don't have to be your best friend, you know, 11 months of the year, but on that one day when there is something happening in the community, having had that conversation earlier or knowing how the local phone tree works or the local information is disseminated can be invaluable and you do that by contacting your local CFA now, not in the middle of the disaster.
maybe even throwing your hand up and volunteering as well was because we know that numbers are down. Ros is in Anglesey. Good morning. Good morning. Two things. Um, we, uh, I went to a uh, CFA uh, information session at Anglesey once. I've uh, been several times. And two things that struck me. Uh, one is they had a psychologist on a video talking about how the human brain changes under stress and you don't think laterally. You don't mm. think the document's in the top drawer and this is in there. You've got to have it all in one place. So all you have to remember is to grab one thing. And the second thing is they then had um, uh, radio warnings um, and they played them. And you had to decide whether you're going to stay, whether you're going to leave early or whether you're going to go to an emergency place. And to have to make that decision suddenly, having hearing that warning, I was surprised. I was perspiring like bilio, my tummy was churning up. It's a huge thing to yeah. hear all that. So and that, you're so right and you don't know how you're going to react. I mean, I'll never forget some of the people, some of the incredible people that I met in the aftermath of, of Black Saturday. And one bloke in particular was, I'll just never forget his feet and, and how burnt they were. And he was wearing his daughter's pink thongs because they were the only shoes that he could grab at the time that were at the front door and was still wearing those days later. So even just things like maybe out the front of your house, just having a box of safe shoes that you can all just throw on or whatever it may be. There's just so much to think about. This it says, I live in Melbourne, but I grew up in r- rural areas. And my parents still live there. I recently just had a firm conversation with my parents, whose plan is very vaguely just grab the dog and come and stay with me. It wasn't good enough. And now they've got a bag at the front door, a plan for me to pick dad and the dog up. And mum has the family car at work. But it was almost a fight against their attitude to get it to this point. And, that's it. and so many texts here saying, talking about digital copies of uh, important documents, talking about bags with copies of documents and talking about being prepared and ready to go. This is all the stuff you can do now. We're not doing this to scare you now. We're no. doing this so we're talking about this now so you can be prepared and hopefully feel more in control. As many people have pointed out, when something happens and maybe you're not thinking straight, you already know you are ready to go. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Michelle Hunt here with you. I'm Melbourne Warwick Long joining you from ABC Shepparton, of course, the host of the Country Hour. As we look at how prepared you, your community and your family are coming into this fire season, lots of people was actually just saying thanks. Thanks for talking about this, whether it be trying to convince their mum and dad to take it seriously or others saying it gives us a chance to share things. There's a community here, an Alpine community, that developed mm. a way to share information, they say, with people from emergency services so that got their own little system and information and it's called The Loop. So people can go it, to The Loop. It's a great website yeah. if you ever check it out. Yeah, The, the Loop Alpine Valley just Google that. It's for that community really but you can, if you, if you want to see what a small community has done to keep themselves informed and prepared, it's pretty amazing. Someone who's lived through it and would probably have a lot of advice to share in terms of just how serious to take this is Bron Sparks. Her and her family lived through the Black Saturday bushfires back in 2009. And now, Bron, it's sort of almost become, it's impacted your entire life and world. You now have a Master's of Disaster Resilience and Sustainable Development. 
For people who are listening to this now, whether they think, okay, well, I'm going to be visiting an area, I'm only going for a couple of days, I don't need to be prepared or I've lived here forever so I know the landscape better than anyone else. What's your advice to people in terms of how serious to take preparedness? Um, hi, and thank you so much, Rochelle and Warwick, for having me um, as part of the conversation. Um, obviously, it's something that's really sort of close to my heart. Um, I think the you know one of the key messages is that everyone needs to be prepared, um, and they all everyone needs to understand that you know we all at some point. Uh, could be exposed to a disaster like a bushfire or a flood or a storm um, and you know we're seeing that happen more and more. Um, in terms of planning I think it's really important um, to plan for the worst case scenario. Hope for the best but um, plan for the worst because you know in, in our family's experience you know we our plan A failed. Um, we never intended to be on the mountain in King Lake in a bushfire um, and as we found ourselves trapped up there we had to and i kind of think of um like the cat in the hat we had to go through to plan x y and z um in order to survive and some of the things that you know contributed to our survival was that we were planned and prepared with bushfire clothes so i had a two-year-old and a four-year-old and then there was you know my husband and i myself we had you know heavy cotton um and denims on woolen clothes um, you know, leather boots, nothing synthetic. And, and I dressed the children in those clothes. It was 47 degrees and oh they were covered goodness. head to toe. Um, we had access to water. We had full um, water tanks, but we also filled the baths and all of those kind of things. Um, and, you know, we eventually got out of our burning house. Um, but wearing those bushfire clothes actually protected us from getting seriously burnt by the radiant heat. We had woolen blankets. So I actually used um, our my baby's um, baby blanket, which was, you know, one of those um, yeah. uh, woolen ones. And I think there was guardian angels as well <laughs> that also helped. But I guess, you know, what does it look like now? Um, we prepare every year um, for the sort of bushfire season. Uh, we make sure that we clean the gutters. We mow the grass around our house and property. Um, we make sure that we've got a set of bushfire clothes for all of us. Obviously, the children grow, so, you know, the jeans... Yes, all of a sudden, they don't fit. That's it. <laughs> no, and they, and they grow really quickly, so we make sure that they're good. And we have extras in case we have visitors or other people that turn oh, up on the day. Um, but one of the things that's really frustrating for us is every year, um, we have a pack that's in our cars because we I mean we live in Canberra but we drive around um, all sorts of places so we carry every summer 15 litres of water in the boot of the car we've got a set of bushfire clothes for everyone who could end up being in the car with us um, and a warm blanket Um, it takes up a lot of space in the in the boot but for us because we do move around and you know it's probably something for tourists to consider as well um, it's it's you know, you can go to the op shop and you can get those lawn blankets. They're really sort of, there's ways that you can do The difference of decisions uh, you make, Bron, if you've lived through it mm-hmm. and survived it, like you know why it's important and you know what, you mightn't be able to take that extra boogie board or whatever it may be because it's important to have that water and those clothes. Yep. Yeah, and you know, when I do the grocery shopping, there's a lot of bags that sit in the back seat because my boots yeah. 
But we also do things like with medication. There's some medications that, you know, we're really dependent on. So we make sure, I make sure that our scripts are held at the pharmacy, but I also have copies of them on, um, I think there's a, an app called MedAdvisor. Um, so that, you know, if I do lose access to them or I have to evacuate quickly, I can get access to those medicines pretty quickly. And a lot of those essential documents, I know that there was a bit of conversation about that before, but having, you know, copies of your passport and, you know, ID sort of stuff, the things that are really essential, I take photos of them and I email them to myself um, so that I know that I can access them, you know, if I'm off-site. Um, but I know Bro that... I've got yep. a, a, an interesting. It's just interesting looking at our, our text line and looking at the people who call in during conversation like this because there's there's a lot. As Rochelle was pointing out, a lot of people saying, you know, thank you. This is an important conversation. Other people saying, you know, who have been through this or uh, worried about the the psychological state of those who have been through through an experiencing like this as well. Get concerned about you know conversations like this bringing up sort of difficult memories for people. As mm -hmm. someone who's been through the difficulty of a, of a fire situation of Black Saturday bushfires and now somebody who just start, who looks at resilience and sustainable development. Um, can, can you sort of weigh that up in terms of your lived experience? Are, are conversations like this still important for people in the community, um, even if they bring up bad memories because we need more people to be prepared for, for the worst situation? Um. Look, absolutely. And, you know, I know that there was some conversations um, of people who called in to talk about that psychological preparedness. You know, I know from my own lived experience that when I'm actually faced with, you know, a severe threat like a bushfire or something, my body actually freezes. I can't actually take action. So when these conversations come up in the lead up to, you know, your bushfire season, um, it's a it's a call to action for me to know, well, I know that I don't actually deal all that well with the yeah. crisis when it's happening. So it's even more important that I can have agency and take, you know, be empowered to actually do everything that I can when I'm in a calm state of mind to prepare to keep myself and my family as safe as possible and understanding and knowing how you will really react and not how you know the perfect rich or the perfect bron will react knowing the reality of here's how i think i will react and i'm going to prepare for that bron you're amazing honestly thank you so much and look we do apologize for you know getting you to to relive a lot of that but to hear how prepared you are now as a result it's incredible thank you so much. No, can I can I just throw in a, another um, of couple of comments if that's okay? Yes. Um, so I know like a lot of people get the message, you know, you've got a plan and, and it's like, well, you know, what's my step? How do I actually plan? Um, you know, it's, it's all very well to say, you know, have a plan in place. How do you do that? Some people just don't know where to start. And I think, you know, particularly if you have some additional functional support needs, like if you're, you know, you're elderly um, or you are a person with disability or you have a chronic health condition or you've got families with infants and young people, like there are additional things and it might take more time to make yourself safe in a crisis situation. Um, I'm actually, uh, because I'm quite heavily invested in this stuff, I'm, um, I've just qualified as a person-centred emergency preparedness toolkit. So there's resources out there to help people um, to prepare plans, particularly if you have additional sort of functional support And where needs. can people get that info, Bron? You're amazing, by the way. <laughs> That's incredible. Where can there's people a, get that? 
So there's a website um, called Collaborating for Inclusion, and the four is a number four, but even um, .org, but even if you just Google that, and that's got a I whole lot of it. resources, because there's a, it, there's a toolkit that can help people actually do their plans, and it doesn't start with, let's, like, let's start writing down a plan, it actually gets the first part of the process. So it's Collaborating for Inclusion. For inclusion, yeah, okay. and people can get that, you know, work through their their plan, and especially if they have specific needs. Bron Sparks, thank you so much. As we said, you know, my pleasure. You've lived through it, but now with a Masters of Disaster Resilience, Sustainable Development, and that website, just throw it into Google if you're maybe elderly or you have senior people in your life, if you're living with a disability or you have some form of special needs and you want to know how that plan may look differently for you, collaborating for inclusion. Just knowing how prepared people are was, this is from Denise. It says, as a firefighter, I have a very small go bag that's ready. I keep it next to my car, next to the keys in fire season. It's got basic stuff in it that will keep me going if the fire turns out to last longer than a few hours. It's got basic hygiene items, including a toothbrush, spare undies, notepad, pen, medication, some Panadol and for the inevitable headache, some lollies for that instant energy that you might need and a few other bits and pieces. It takes up a tiny amount of space in the fire truck and it makes me feel better. Better. That idea is easily adapted to anyone. Great advice. And great advice from Bron too to think about what's in your car as well. Not only what's at your front door, but what's in your car as part of your preparation for fire season. Let's go to a few calls. 1300 777 We'll go to Venus Bay to start with. And Simon is there. Hi, Simon. Welcome to the program. Oh, good day. Good thanks for the time. Um, yeah, we've got a we we've got a place in Venice Bay and we we have short stays there that come in and out and um you know we're not there all the time so when they're there they have really um to really know about the the plan to get out if there's a if there's an emergency and and venus bay is a fine fire prone area even even though it hasn't burnt burnt in a while um but what i find is is it's actually quite difficult to sometimes get the short stayers to be aware of what they might need to do in a fire. There's only one road in and out of Venus Bay. And, um, you know, if you have to get out quickly, you really have to go early in that situation. And sometimes I find that our short stayers don't, they don't even communicate with us. We'll send them messages. We'll have welcomes. We've got um, little placards inside the, inside the house that, um, you know, talk about what to do in a fire. So I'm not really aware. Do you reckon of what the average short stays host? I think about the handful. I mean, I actually haven't stayed in a lot of short stays. Strangely, but I've stayed in a couple, and there was one that was up the mountain, and it was in the peak of summer, and it told us where this was sort of before the peak of short stays, but it told us where the the town bunker was, so we knew where to go. But other than that, I don't think Simon, I've seen much information on a welcome pack at a short stays on the reality of fire in an area. Should it, that be mandated in some way? Oh, I think so because, for, for example, our place is, is on, a, on the top of a sand dune and it's surrounded by tea tree uh, forest and if anything really happens, it happens quickly there. So um, it's really the responsibility of the host to, to, have, to have something available for the guests to, to, to keep them safe because the last thing you want is something something bad to happen on your yeah. watch, right, as you're, oh uh, my God, you're hosting someone. 
Couldn't imagine that, Simon. Thank you. Very, very important information. Uh, text here saying simply download the CFA bushfire plan template as well. You can do that online, Rochelle. And, you know, people used to have census night parties. You should have a bushfire planning Better night party, place. shouldn't you, at least to go through it <laughs> and make sure you got that detail party. down. I've never yeah. been invited to one of those. Oh, maybe I'm just making it up. But bushfire <laughs> planning night party should certainly be one that you're doing at home to go through and make sure everyone in the family, everyone who may be in your place, knows what to do at the time of an emergency. Celeste Young is a Collaborative Research Fellow of Risk, Disaster and Resilience Network and the co-convener of that at Victoria University. We just heard from Simon there, who sounds like a very responsible short stays owner, has everything in place. I'm not sure whether that's the case across the board. When we think about tourists, it's not just those who are visiting, it's those who are supplying the accommodation that need to think about this, Celeste. Yes. Indeed. There, there needs to be a lot more thought about temporary people coming into a space from the outside and how they're actually prepared for it. Because I think I was talking to some of the people after Black Summer Bushfire and the headset that people come into that space when they're on holidays, I'm here, it's my holiday, I've paid for it and therefore I'm going to enjoy it and stay. And absolutely, but yeah. if you're going out on the water... Everyone is given a little spiel before they go on the boat. Here's the life um, jackets. Here's everything you need in case of an accident. We don't think about fire like that. And I, I was just listening with interest before about the conversation in relation to what people need in their homes when they come in when they're hosting. And uh, we did actually anecdotally hear of a few stories where people found those sorts of information on top of the fridge and it was only the fact that someone was very tall that they could see where the fire exit plan was. And there, there's things that people wouldn't think about, like when you're leaving, if there's one road in and one road out, that's one thing. You know, you do need to leave early because you do get people backing up. But the other thing is there's a lot of new estates. I was in Western Australia recently and... We were driving around a beautiful, very bushfire-prone area and there were all these dead-end roads and we just sort of started thinking what would happen if we were in a fire and we were trying to get out. You know, we probably wouldn't have got out um, because we just didn't understand the landscape or where we were. So I think it's really about retraining people to, to really think, first of all, not to assume that you will be safe in a natural disaster and to understand what that risk looks like so you're not anxious about it. Like all the people who've been talking on your show about the little things they do to prepare themselves that make them feel more in control, it's really important. Is there a different sort of mindset for people who are especially going as tourists, Celeste, thinking, oh, well, I've paid for a holiday, you know, I've got to make the, I've got to make the most of it, I've got to get there, as opposed to somebody living in a community who may have seen fire affect that place before? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, risk you learn about by experiencing it primarily because it's a very visceral thing. It's something that happens and, and lands in your body. And if you've been through an experience with a fire, you actually, I mean, because um, I have been around a bushfire and, and the, the noise is phenomenal. It's something you wouldn't expect. Um, the, the smoke, all the fumes and, and just the panic that you, you might need to be somewhere else. Um, they're not things that, that you would think about. So that whole concept of actually practising, like you you practise all other things, even when you go in your car, I think is important. But I think there's this other aspect too, when a tourist comes in, if they're coming from another country, yeah. they may not have any context for what a bushfire is and mm. how it behaves. 
So, so, so many people, of our warning signs, yeah. even when it comes to rips and, and water safety, mm. are only mm. written in English. You know, there's so many things mm. that need to change there and, and to think about. Celeste, thank you. We appreciate your time. Celeste Young, she's a research fellow of Risk, thank Disaster you. and Resilience Network convener at Victoria University. Michael's in Hastings and has been waiting so patiently. Good morning, Michael. Oh, good morning. Um, look, I, this weekend just gone was a long weekend i went to the high country there's lots of user groups there um we were actually mountain biking um it turns out we jumped back in the car and headed to rawson as you probably know there were three fires in Gippsland last weekend um it turns out we were literally without exaggeration 600 meters from a fire front and we had absolutely no, no idea, idea. so it got me thinking. We, we drove towards Rawson and that's when we realised there was a fire. Um, but the fire was moving directly towards where we were mountain biking, um, but the smoke was going the other direction. So will that so change the- your behaviour? So, Michael, I guess, was this a, a mountain bike track or were you kind of maverick and styled as sort of bush <laughs> bashing through and maybe shouldn't have been there? No, no, definitely designated bike riding. Okay, so maybe there could have been some warnings there, you think? Well, what got me thinking was that there was obviously a helicopter that, well, it seemed to be a helicopter there that was surveilling the fire, and it was literally doing laps. It would take quite a while for it to go around. Um, so it got me thinking, why don't doesn't a, an aircraft like that have an audible signal to notify all those user groups in the area... To get out. I don't know how possible that is. But I think, Michael, you've raised a good point, was, you know, when we talk about visiting, and if you go in bush and you're fanging it on some mountain bike somewhere... (laughs) That's what they do on mountain bikes, don't they? Oh, I'm I'm here with you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 600 metres from the fire, Michael was, Mm. and he had no idea. And look, and it's the other thing, there is some situations you may be in that you cannot like be as prepared for we have a lot of fast moving grass fires that can pop up in areas when you won't get three days worth of warning sometimes to fire bad fire days because fires can happen on any day bad fire weather can just mean we get larger or or it can make it more likely to have them but the idea is to be as prepared as you can and that's what we've been talking about today um ignorance really isn't a good excuse especially if you're living in these areas there are so many resources we've discussed today that can help you and if this has raised anything for you. You know, we've received a lot of messages today mm. from people who lost people in fires from Black Saturday. So our thoughts and you know our condolences go out to you. So apologies if this has raised anything. But as we discussed earlier, it's an uncomfortable but an important conversation that needs to be had. I'll be back with you on Monday. Have a wonderful and safe weekend. Take care.